Hello again, all you listeners, and welcome back, or welcome to Arvada Community's interview podcast. I'm Jeremy Jensen, one of the assistant principals and director of curriculum and instruction at Arvada High School. If you're tuning in for the first time, this podcast is designed to strengthen Arvada's community connections by sharing our stories, experiences, and learnings from the people who are connected to our community. We hope that you enjoy hearing from the people in our community and that you think about taking time to reach out personally to those who share their stories about the things that you are connecting to. In this episode, I talk with social studies and ninth grade integrated teacher, Kyle Smoker. Kyle teaches ninth grade integrated geographic studies. This year, he'll be partnered with Lauren Brennan, as well as one of our new SPED teachers, Sarah Milius, and our new ESL teacher, Darcy Botham, in the integrated classes. Kyla will also be co-teaching a section of U.S. history with one of our ESL teachers, Carolyn Kegris, once again. In this interview, Kyle talks about how his experiences being raised in a conservative religious background led to his desire to become a teacher, how he found tremendous success in a U.S. history project last year during remote learning, and why he thinks it's so important to not have a deficit mindset regarding our students. He also talks about the need to balance high expectations and rigor with building strong relationships with students and getting to know them on a personal level. This episode was recorded indoors and hummingbird free on July 29th of 2020. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the interview. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, Kyle. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks. How, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's man. been a good summer, and yeah, ramping up for school. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I'm really impressed that um, you took the time to both like print out, type up, print out. Um, and color code the answers, uh, some notes to the responses to some of the questions I sent you in advance. So I'm yeah. really impressed with that. So for those of you that can't see, which I think is most of you that are listening, Kyle has uh, two full pages of type notes right now and um, can't wait to hear what's on some of these. Typical smoker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kyle, what brought you into education? So I, I always um, was interested in teaching. I, I just didn't realize it for a long time. Um, I grew up in a very, and I think maybe we've talked about this a little bit, but a very conservative religious uh, home. And um, as a young kid, I sort of interpreted my sort of interest I think in teaching from a very like religious lens I kind of wanted to be a pastor um, and so that's kind of how I saw like that yeah interest sort of coming out and being used um, as I got older though um, I started to question a lot of what I had been taught and I think we've talked about how actually my grandparents were Amish and my dad grew up a little Amish kid so um, so I had a lot of sort of questioning to do and was not encouraged in that questioning very much um, and as I got older and um, initially I had done some missions work 
for a year overseas and again sort of was interpreting this interest in teaching through that sort of religious lens. But as I started to doubt a lot of the things I had been told, I had been told I started to wonder whether that interest could be something that I could do anymore. I mean, it's hard to be a pastor if you're not sure whether you believe what you're teaching. <laughs> so I went to college. I went to Wheaton College, which is a really conservative evangelical school, um, and felt very alone there as I was sort of questioning my faith. Uh, decided to major in philosophy. Um, I start, started to figure that maybe I could use my interest in teaching in to just sort of help people to think about what they believe in ways that were interesting to me and in ways that I wasn't necessarily very encouraged to do by teachers or mentors in my life previously. So at, by the time I was in college, I sort of had this dream of becoming a college professor, a philosophy professor. Um, a couple of my friends ended up getting degrees in philosophy and went on to, to actually become philosophy professors. And I realized that a lot of that job entailed like research and writing deep, dense, philosophical texts. And that was never really my interest. My interest was in actual teaching um, in the classroom. And as I sort of realized that at the same time in my life, I became a, a dad, a father. And so I thought I need to probably get a little more responsible and uh, get a job that like actually pays for my kid and her childcare and her clothing and food um, instead of spending five, six years getting a PhD in philosophy that I wasn't even sure anymore I, I wanted. Um, so I started my own construction company out here in Colorado. That was something I knew I could do, um, and I knew how to do my family being raised, you know, with an Amish background, like, you know, we all knew construction. So it was sort of like a family trade, and um, so I knew I could do it. Um, and after a little over a decade out here um, of kind of making money and having my own business, I sort of felt the pull that I'd always felt but over time, it kind of wore on me, feeling like I'm not doing what really would give me the most fulfillment and meaning. Part of being raised in a really religious environment is being taught this idea that you, you know, live your life for something greater than yourself. And that was really put in me. So I would have a hard time sort of just making money and feeling like that was what I wanted to do with my life. And then in, I guess, 2016, I was watching the news and everything going on in our country and feeling like I have this desire to teach, to be for other kids, the kind of teacher or mentor that I didn't have. Um, and it felt like a good time to maybe make a transition and get into education. So that's what I did. So how did you make that happen? How In 2016, how did you make the jump and yeah. what was your process there? So I had no idea how to go about it. I mean, yeah, I didn't, I did not know 
any teachers, really. I don't think I had any friends who were teachers except for my friends who had gone on to become college professors. And so I actually talked to one of my friends here in Colorado who um, is a professor out at Notre Dame. And I said, well, I'm thinking about becoming a teacher. Like, what do I do? And him and his wife, his wife had some background in education. And they said, well, I think there's some programs for like career changers and stuff like that that you could find probably either at UC Boulder or somewhere in Denver. So then I just went online, started looking at programs, found University of Colorado in Denver, um, very quickly applied there. I found their website and realized that their application deadline was like two weeks away. And so scrambled to get an application into them um, and then ended up, yeah, getting a master's in education at, at UCD. And that was sort of my in, I guess, to education. And then, uh, then what happened after that? So Arvada High School at the time partnered with UCD for interns. And I got placed for my second internship at Arvada um, in Abling's classroom. I've heard good, good things about Abling. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he was my, I don't know what they're called, CT clinical teacher or whatever. Um, and I just, I liked Arvada for a lot of reasons. It was the school that I had sort of identified when I was researching the program at UCD, the one that I wanted to, to intern at. So I felt very fortunate that I got to intern at Arvada and then just built relationships with other teachers there, a lot of guys in the social studies department. And um, so it felt like a, uh, a good a good place to teach as a beginning teacher because I had some established relationships and a network of support so um, I was eager to apply um, I also appreciated like Arvada's the student population at Arvada and felt like it was one that was closer to the kind of population of students that I was more interested in um, say more about that well, and I think maybe we'll talk about this later um, from some of the questions that I, I saw you had. Um, and you've typed up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the things that I was noticing, I guess, um, when I decided to become, kind of make the transition to become a teacher was a lot of the inequities in society and in America. Um, and then as I was in my teacher education program the inequities in the school system too so i felt like um arvada was a place where some of the we had a a uh, population of kids who had maybe seen some of those inequities firsthand and i wouldn't i don't um i don't judge anybody for where they go to teach um, but I felt like for me it was an opportunity to make a difference for some kids who maybe didn't have all the benefits that a lot of other kids have and that kind of helped that kind of addressed a little bit that feeling inside me like wanting to make a difference and wanting to give my life for something greater than myself and yeah, our kids definitely need that, and they deserve that. Um, 
I, I, I have to go back. I'm, I'm really curious. Um, can you kind of share about your experience growing up with, um, you know, connected to the Amish community and what that was like and how that was sort of like um, evolved over time or changed over time? Yeah. So, so when my grandparents left the Amish church, they started going to a Mennonite church, which is essentially the same thing. Um, the only difference, I mean, theologically it was the same. However, we were allowed to have electricity and cars. So my, so I grew up in a Mennonite church, which was the church that my parents had gone to once their parents left the Amish faith. Um, and so, um, yeah, the Mennonite church is, in some ways they're, they believe in things like, in their own way, in things like social justice and care for the environment. Um, some things that aren't necessarily um, appreciated to the same degree within maybe, say, like the broader evangelical church. So I spent up until about seventh grade in a Mennonite church, and then my parents started going to this sort of big evangelical mega church in time for me to sort of transition into high school. So I got a, a dose of that then too. And I experienced a little bit of cognitive dissonance as a result between those two churches. But you could say that the step towards an evangelical church was maybe a step towards a little bit more, at least for in America, sort of a mainstream form of Christianity versus the Mennonite church or the Anabaptist tradition, which is part of the Amish tradition so um, at the evangelical church that I went to they had a school K through 12 school and my parents put me in that school um, so I got an education up through 12th grade I mean my primary school education was very insulated I mean what we believed at that church is what we were taught at that school and that was all I was exposed to um, we my school was, I mean, they may not agree with this assessment, but while not hostile to education, I was very skeptical of education and asking too many questions. And they saw their job as teachers to sort of make sure we believed all the quote unquote right things and avoided all the quote unquote wrong things. So, so there wasn't a lot of. PBL and inquiry-based learning no, going on at, no. in your school. Yeah, yeah. Was that hard? Yes. Because you said that you started to question things. Um, Very young. Yeah. I was always questioning things. Um, I mean, when I was five, six, seven, I remember my parents wanting me to go to Sunday school, and I wanted to sit in the main church service with the adults because just felt like that was more stimulating and addressing more of the questions that I kind of had, even as a little kid. Um, so yeah, I was always asking questions, not from a place of wanting to promote doubt in myself, but just believing that if, if what I'm being told or what I believe is true, you know, it's gonna make some minimal amount of sense. It's not gonna be it's not going to feel crazy and discombobulated and sort of, yeah, it's going to cohere. And so I was always looking for that 
coherence and always feeling like it was just never quite there for me. So I was always questioning. And by the time that was incur not encouraged, but it was tolerated more in the Mennonite church that I went to than the evangelical church that I did. And so when I transitioned to the evangelical church, I think I experienced some dissonance there with even my friends who were less, less tolerant of my questions than I anticipated. So do you think uh, how, how much have any of these experiences sort of informed or influenced you as a teacher? Huge, I think. In what ways? Like I think for me, even just first off, like the, the value of education was something that took me a long time to figure out. And for every kid who doesn't see that, the value, the intrinsic value of education, for every kid who doesn't see that, I feel like I get that. And I feel like I have like a very personal sort of experience or rationale or revelation to share with the kids who don't necessarily perceive the value of education. Um, so it informs my teaching there. One, because I feel like I can, I can empathize and sympathize with the kids who don't want to be there. Because I didn't want to be there. I hated school, I think, because of the way it was presented to me. And then two, I think I have just a life experience that allows me to communicate with those kids and in a way that doesn't feel preachy, at least I hope. You know, here's, here's why education is valuable, even if you don't necessarily feel it right now. Um, so yeah. That's and a, I, that's a, a keep going. Well, I think too, I guess that's the first way. The second way I think is just that, you know, I, I did not have, I had one, and every teacher has this person, this teacher, but I had like one teacher in high school that I felt encouraged my questioning and made me feel like he believed in me. Um, and not having that, um, yeah, that met a real need. And so just in terms of the presence or the person or the kind of teacher that I wanna be, um, I'm always looking for like those kids, kids who don't feel believed in and I think there's a lot of kids at our school who don't feel believed in. And that's part of why I enjoy my job so much. The empathy, like you've got this, an extra heightened ability to sort of like put yourself in somebody else's shoes because you know how that feels. I hope so. I at least know how that particular experience feels. And yeah, it's, it's, hard, not, it's hard not to sort of, yeah, feel this strong drive to like, when you see that kid, to reach that kid, so. Kyle, what are some things that you're most proud of in your classroom? I think um, my relationships with the kids. Um, at the end of the day, that's the thing that, that matters to me. I wanna provide the kids with an equi equitable education, and that involves, for me, that involves like rigorous learning um, oh, I want my kids to know a little social studies by the time they graduate from high school. 
so that's important but that's very important to me but what's more important is is the relationships with the kids how do you balance those two things I think at least for me and of course I've only finished my second year as a teacher so a lot of anything I sort of say I feel like is a I'm in process learning but um, I think it's important to take time obviously like before class starts and after class but even during class like any any little chance you can get to make a personal connection with a kid and show them that you legit are interested in them or something they care about um, I think helps to build that relationship and I think you can do that while also teaching content. Another thing is I think if, if you make what you're teaching relevant to the kids and they know that you're, because you care, you're picking things that are relevant to them. Um, that I think facilitates a little bit more of overlap between content and relationships. And so you can kind of hit them both at the same time. Especially if the more you give kids the ability to like share their opinions in class, then they feel heard and that builds relationship. It builds the trust, it builds yeah. like just the desire to want to share more and right. you know It's like you're what you're doing with this podcast. <laughs> I hope so. I hope it has some effects like that. Um so tell me more about engaging and like the engagement levels that you have are there any certain strategies that you find effective for you as a facilitator to um, heighten the engagement so this is probably a result of my experience um, because this was we avoided this at all costs in my high school experience mm -hmm. but I really I like trying to generate controversy in the classroom. Um, finding things, and as a social studies teacher, I think this is easier than maybe for other subjects, like uh, making math controversial is probably a harder task than with social studies, um, especially with um, current, current political environment. There's tons of stuff that's controversial that you can kind of bring into the classroom that the kids are thinking about talking about, texting each other about. Um, and so by generating controversy, I think it, it, and opening up the class to kids sharing their opinions, I think that that, that can help um, build that. And as high school kids, I mean, they wanna be heard. Adults don't take them seriously, so Everyone, you know, most adults have all sorts of reasons for why they're, oh, you'll figure it out when you're older and kind of dismiss wherever they're at. But I think, um, yeah, I, I, like to, I like to find current events that are meaningful to them and then try to let them have at it. Those are my favorite classes anyway. Is that why you think you were drawn mostly to social studies as opposed yeah, to a different definitely. discipline? Yeah, because it, it provides that sort of really easy avenue. Yeah, the natural yeah. ability to look at current things and compare them to yeah. across the world and across time or space or whatever. Yeah. 
Um, tell me a little bit about pr the projects. So, um, thinking about the projects that you've done this past year, um, I know you worked with a relatively large team of integrated and integrated classes uh, exclusively. Um, so you, it was like a collaborative experience. What do you find, or what did you find to be most successful with your project developments this year? Um, my favorite project is um, it's from a U.S. history class, which wasn't with our ninth grade team. That was a project that was largely developed by Greg Greer um, the semester that I was interning at Arvada and the rest of the social studies department where we collaborated or partnered with pop culture classroom they were some they were like two guys that Greer knew um, I think friends of his um, here in like the Denver area and the project involves like hooking the kids up in our history class with um, this comic book um, yeah team of like comic book artists and illustrators um, and they create a I think I don't know how how many issues they come out with every year but it's several at least at least four um, and then the kids can kids get to pick um, a historical topic or person or event that they get to work with the folks from pop culture classroom to create a like a four-page comic strip and then that thing actually gets published gets put in a book and then they use it to help educate other students they use it in classrooms and schools other sorts of um, avenues too um, and that I, I I love that that's project. like the gift that keeps on giving yeah. you were all you were recognized for that right or like your students were yeah the there was actually a thing in the what's the Denver Post's something hub. Oh, I don't remember. I don't. Yeah, there's some sort of feature on their website, or yeah, that kind of features stuff like that. And yeah, they interviewed me for that, and uh, so that was cool. That's really awesome. Yeah, Fun. it's an awesome project. It does sound awesome. Um, Kids got into it. Would you say that that was the most excited that you've seen? Yeah. Yeah, I think so far? of the of all the the projects slash PBLs slash projects in making um, that that I've done in these two years, like that's the one that the kids get the most into because they they get choice in what they want to choose um, to do their comic strip on, and we we like I emphasize with them like try to choose something from. U.S. history um, that hasn't been centered, voices or perspectives that have been left out, and then your your job is to is to teach other people about that sort of missing history. And a lot of kids like they get into that, um, and then it gives them the chance to instead of just writing an essay or something, we get to talk about, and it's fun to teach. We get to talk about storytelling. Um, how to tell a good story and so we bring some English content into the classroom and um, and then they get to kind of ultimately they don't draw it themselves that's that's an option but pop, pop culture classroom has illustrators that they pay 
once the kids make a script and tell them what they want, and then they work with the illustrators to bring it to bring it to life. So we were we had just started that project when we went remote. And I thought, oh my God, how is this going to go? Are the kids just going to check out? Because it's very collaborative. Mm -hmm. One of the benefits, I think, was that the groups, you know, and I let the kids choose their own groups so that most of them chose their friends, which I think helped because they were well connected with each other outside of school, had each other's texts or phone numbers and could text and sort of yeah really kind of take responsibility for seeing it through and they did awesome i was i was very pleasantly surprised they they just kept right on rolling with it and last i checked the group that got chosen from my class this year um before i went to utah um four weeks ago they were still working with the folks from pop culture classroom over the summer like we're invested in finishing it up so that's fantastic yeah like just a continual uh, learning experience that people want to do outside of the school year yeah Um, any part of it that because you said you were nervous about the remote piece of it but it wound up working really well yeah is there any component that you could see being sort of replicated for other projects um, to heighten the success or do you feel like that was more isolated to that project Specifically with respect to remote learning? Mm-hmm. It's hard to say. I mean, I think, so I had, I had one student who, she really wanted to do the project on her own, um, which I let her, I let her do. She had kind of, she came in kind of late, um, had transferred in kind of late, and so I let her do that, and she kind of, she didn't follow through. Um, and then the kids who I think had well-established relationships in the classroom, those were the groups that did the best, like the ones that had the sort of most natural relationships. I had one group that was a little less, um, like the group was a little more forced, like it wasn't like a close group of friends. And they struggled for the first like three weeks to sort of get on the same page, like to figure out how they were gonna communicate, when they would often, I made myself available on you know hangouts to kind of coordinate, help them coordinate together, like get together, um, and they struggled. They eventually got it together, but I noticed that there was a strong correlation between the kids' existing sort of relationships and the success of the the group once we re- went remote. So, so would you say that maybe different from when we're in person, like try to find the natural connections that people already exist, so that it's more comfortable for them to yeah. be collaborative and. In a space, I think so, and I think at home, I guess. what I would maybe, and if if it's if we're still remote this year, like what I might experiment with is like the ideal number for those groups is is four four kids for each group. Um, but I I think I would try experimenting with 
allowing them to choose smaller groups, like have pairs, just to see if that, because a couple, couple of the groups struggled to get all four on the same page. Some of them, like three of them would really roll, and then one of them would feel like, I don't know what's going on, and so I'm not sure if, I do think like the natural relationships and friendships were the most sort of effective, but I'd be curious to see what happens if, if, uh, yeah, if we had pairs in some cases instead of four. They were, the kids seemed willing to do more work, like if they were in pairs, and I would say like there was the one group that there was only three. And I said, um, do you guys mind? I mean, if there's only three of you, there's still there's work for four people. Are you okay with doing a little bit more? Because you all have to take up a little bit of extra work since there's only three of you. And they were like, yeah. And they did all right. The groups that elected that, you know, and were aware of that consequence, like they were like, yeah, sure. Well, that's encouraging. Yeah. Like, things to think about as we try to do better and navigate it yeah. for the rest of us here. Or yeah. As long as we need to. Right. Um, tell me about your thoughts on equity. We talked about it a little bit already. You touched on it, but how do you promote um, equity in your classroom? I think a big thing is bringing the kids' own voices into the classroom, considering their backgrounds, their concerns, their interests at the unit lesson planning level and then you know hopefully getting some of that data from them at the beginning of the class year so that you can inform your unit design and your lesson planning to incorporate things that you know they're interested in and some of their background um, and then making making space for them to bring that stuff into the classroom and then making sure that they know that that's valuable. Um, I think avoiding deficit mindsets is important and instead viewing a lot of what the, looking for the things that the kids have to offer and can bring in to the classroom. I think that's a good way to put it. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Is to really have more of an asset mindset than a deficit mindset when it comes to what our students can. And because they're talented and they are gifted and we have awesome kids. You have to find ways to tap into that. Yeah. Yep. And they'll run they'll run with stuff, I think, if if you give them a chance. Um let, just letting them know you believe in them. Uh, what are you excited about coming up for this coming school year? I'm, I'm excited about building on some of the things that we did last year. One of the um, PBLs that we did that I, I think I'm excited about sort of taking to the next step or the next level is the sort of environmental um, I guess we had like a environmental summit mm -hmm. um, was fun. and went down to yeah, City Hall. I thought that was fun. Yeah. So I'm excited about taking that to like sort of the next step. 
and in general I think um, I'm excited to try to up the academic rigor and raise expectations like I, I think like I said earlier you know like there's there's lots of ways that you can have relationships with kids and build you know be a good mentor or somebody that's significant in the life of a kid um, I chose teaching as the avenue to do that so obviously as a teacher I also care about academics and mm -hmm. pushing the kids to expect more from themselves and I, I think we can do it so well it's a huge part of equity it's we, yeah we want to bridge the gap the yep. opportunity gap and to do so we have got to have high bars we have got to have rigorous lessons on a daily basis and push yeah. thinking and make sure that the thinking is critical as much as as humanly possible yeah um i'm very glad to hear that you answer the question <laughs> um what are instructionally speaking from your own personal side of things um what would you like to sort of like grow in most this year instructionally or anything anything or or both or both yeah. my biggest sort of felt need and i think it's both my personality and maybe also the way i was raised like um is maybe has to do with like the the high expectations of kids in my class like i i i want to i want to push them more and um, I also want to be better at like sort of yeah my expectations of the kids behavior in the classroom um, that's my hardest thing like um, like tea garden has this awesome presentation I don't know if you've seen it he gave it to us as interns um, where there's like a quadrant of like the four different kinds of teachers you can be and on the one scale I think like on the one side there's like could be like super permissive or you could be super authoritarian oh yeah um i remember that i was i did see a tea garden if you're listening right now you have a you have a shout out and <laughs> would you forward that presentation back on to me i would appreciate that thank you it's awesome and he talked about how you know like i mean the goal is to sort of be in the top right quadrant where you have your sort of a kind of a coach you have empathy you also have high expectations you're not too permissive but you're not too authoritarian either um, and my my most natural place to reside is probably in the instead of in the coach category or the policeman category it would be in like the counselor category like that's where I probably most naturally exist so I know as just sort of like yeah my need as a result is to I don't know if you want to say be tougher on the kids but kind of be tougher on the kids sometimes I'm great at listening and empathizing um, I'm not so good at saying like you know what time to get your butt in gear <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that was sort of my goal this last year and it, it's still sort of like my my number one sort of felt need it takes time like that's a hard it's one of the I think hardest 
things to perfect and get right like to be that counselor to be that warm demander to like have the high expectations and still have the human like the personality side come through yeah don't want to be too soft you don't want to be too hard it's a really fine line to walk instructionally um i would like to sort of maybe this is repeating what i said before but just to up the academic rigor and i'd like to implement some more sort of some strategies protocols that i think would help to do that we didn't do as much of um or that i didn't do as much of last year as i would have liked so i'm hoping to kind of focus and i haven't had a time to pick any yet um but focus on maybe like two or three sort of strategies or protocols that i can sort of make part of the routine to help promote I think like deeper thinking and like yeah kids to be more problem solvers mm-hmm. so yeah good goals excellent goals um what's been your biggest failure being vulnerable you I, I appreciate you're you're always very um when I have a conversation with you I always appreciate like your level of thought and just complete vulnerability like I feel like you're a very honest and easy person to talk to and so I'm really curious to hear what your biggest failure might be failure failure is such a such a um, intense word triggering word maybe shouldn't well for me I think you and I have talked about this like I'm a perfectionist so my um, I've always got yeah my my binoculars on looking for failure. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I feel lucky. Like, I don't feel like I have, like I've made any sort of like singular um, failures as a teacher yet. It's only been two years. Um, but I do think sort of um, on the whole, um, I want, I, I feel like, um, I feel like I just, I feel like I have a lot to learn. Um, I, think that's the, I think that's the point of this, right? The point of the failure question. It's like being vulnerable to know, like, I've got this thing that I want to do better and it didn't hasn't gone well or didn't go well for whatever reason. So, like, maybe the thing or something that you um, have didn't go well, but you know that there's an opportunity now for you to become better at this thing or yeah. make this jump or improvement, if you will. Yeah. This is the first time you've looked back at your notes, by the way. I'm really, like, the whole time you've just been not even using these notes. I guess it, it helps to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I want to be, I mean, I want to be, I do, I do want to focus on being able to be firmer with the kids at those times when when you really need to be and that's not my my natural personality is not that way okay. I'm just so like and the thing I needed as a kid like I needed grace as a kid um, and so it's easy for me to kind of see that need and want to give that to the kids mm-hmm. but um, really drawing a line in the sand when you have to and holding the kids to like high behavioral expectations like that's what that's what I want to that's what I want to work on I don't know that I 
failed in that. Um, but it's definitely an area of, of need that I feel like I need to work on. So it's a good answer. Um, if you could offer up one piece of advice to um, a colleague, a younger self, whatever it is, um, something you've learned as your time as an educator, what would you tell somebody fresh off the gate, out of the gate? I think I think being humble is important as a teacher and being teachable. Like I feel like as a second year teacher, like I don't have a lot of advice. I feel like I have a lot to learn from my fellow teachers, certainly more than giving advice. But that to me sort of maybe seems like maybe that's the my, maybe that's my answer to the question is is learning from each other. I would probably encourage all of us to to learn from each other more and to recognize that there's not one way to be a good teacher. Like there's a there's a lot of different ways to be a good teacher based on who we are and what's important to us and our personality and where we come from and um, and try to allow room for that amongst ourselves like as colleagues and you know I can't agree with that more um, I remember a time where I was working with a really rock star teacher like this was a long time ago and I really appreciated what she had to offer um, and I think our leader our principal wanted like people to just emulate and, and replicate what she was doing and it just didn't work yeah. because it's not natural for everybody to be exactly like this one particular teacher everybody's right. got a different style like I have learned from many different types of people with many different styles of teaching I think you got to make what works best work for you and make that authentic otherwise the students aren't going to respond they're, they're going to see through that like that's, that's you're forcing something that doesn't fit yeah yeah um Kyle I really appreciate your time here uh, it's been really good talking with you appreciate the invitation and yeah appreciate your interest in hearing from teachers at the school and promoting culture and all of that i think it's well, awesome well thank you so much yeah. uh, thanks for being here and i hope to talk to you much more this year okay hey everyone I just wanted to point out that Kyle really wanted me to shout out Judy Nelson. Um, he forgot to mention how big of a help Judy was um, in helping that U.S. History PBL project that he mentioned. Um, she really personally helped him bring more English content into it. So um, he wanted me to make sure that Judy, you had the recognition that you deserved for all the help that you gave to him during that project. So thank you, Judy. Thanks for listening. Again, I hope you take time now or sometime this school year to get to know Kyle and let him know your thoughts about his story and insights. 
He's a fantastic listener and really believes in our students, so we are extremely fortunate to have him on our staff. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Jensen with Arvada High School Community Interviews. We do have one suggestion for a title, pick of the litter, as it relates to bulldogs. Please let me know your thoughts about this suggestion. Thank you, everyone. Until next time.